0: Make Life Delicious, the podcast, is more than the food we eat. It's what else in life that makes us feel, be, and act delicious.
1: We'll have conversations about real life, its messiness, and the things we can't live without
0: the ups, the downs, and the things we do on the daily to maintain our health, strength, and our balance. We'll talk about the unconventional wisdom and the alternative practices used in raising families, from healing to sex, because life's juicy. We are so excited and so ready to share how we make life delicious every day and how you can too. This is a Soulfire production. Who are the Curry Girls? You and me. That's right. Megs and Pegs are the Curry Girls. Curry is our last name. Megan and Peggy Curry. And we started Curry Girls Kitchen back in 2012. Yep. Right after I graduated college with our mission Curry Girls Kitchen
1: makes life delicious every day, building confidence in gluten-free cooking and cultivating a strong foundation for a healthy body. But it's so much more than that.
0: 100%.
1: I think you should start because you birthed me and that's the beginning.
0: (laughs) (laughs) All right. So we all know I'm 64 years old now and I married my best friend, Tim, and we are high school sweethearts. And 16 years later, we gave birth to four beautiful daughters. The Curry Girls. The Curry Girls. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) We did. We we did. We created four daughters in six years. And before kids, though, life had its ups and downs and in-betweens. And so for me, I grew up in a Jewish family, and I married a Catholic husband. But let's go back even more because growing up for me, Megs, was like, it wasn't always easy. I was one of those kids that were really happy, but I also had a lot of fear growing up. My siblings, I had a brother and a sister, and I was five and 10 years apart from my, both my siblings. And uh, I ended up having panic disorder from the time I was 18 until I was, I don't know, 28 for a good 10 years. And that was a really hard time in my life because back then panic disorder for a kid really wasn't anything talked about. And besides having panic disorder, I had all kinds of digestive issues. So I was kind of like in and out of, you know, doctors and trying to figure out what the problem was. And then, you know, at 18, I'm going off to college. So I'm having a college experience but I'm also living with panic disorder.
1: Did your parents, were they helping you during that time when you were a kid and before you went off to college? Or again, it was kind of unspoken?
0: Not really. It was it was more like, oh, it's all in your head. Mm. And that was one thing as a parent that I was really careful with our kid, you know, our family, that if you told me something, I wanted to know, is this real? You know, because I was always raised with, nope, it's in your head, you know, children to are to be seen and not heard. And, you know, it was kind of really challenging to have this fear inside me and then to be a nervous kid. and And then as a teenager and as a young adult, it was really challenging. And so I had to really find my own way. And part of the ways that I did it is I tried many different you know, things, one of which I, I had to see a psychiatrist. I had to be put on pills. I had to actually learn eventually how to live life all over again. And would you say you did this in college? Uh, I would say that from college uh, until I was married, I just really lived with panic disorder. And, and they gave me drugs that didn't make me feel good. You know, I was on, I think it was called Xanax, and there was another pill that, you know, was really a big pill at the time that, you know, a lot of moms, you know, would take, and it made me feel so funny and tired and loopy all the time, and I just knew I didn't want to be on drugs. And so for me, I really started searching other ways to help myself get out of being panicked.
1: And how old were you when you got married?
0: I was 23 years old when I got married.
1: Wow, it's so young now, thinking back. That's crazy. Yeah. But so from like 18 to 23, you were living with panic disorder.
0: Oh, totally. And then from 23 to 28 was really the time that I started to heal from it. And so I did about a year on a medication that kind of rebalanced my brain. But then after that, it was, I got into food and really looking at the foods that were helping me. I was teaching special ed kids at the time. And even while I was teaching, I would have moments of panic. And thank God for the girls that were, you know, in the office, these counselors that I created this like team It's like my first group of, of people that helped me get through this time of panic. And they were all counselors at the time. And we had a group that we ended up forming a group. It was a metaphysical group. And for 10 years, I worked on myself, peeling away the onions and the layers of, you know, what was causing me to be so scared and fear-based and all these things. That was like an exciting time. What do you mean by
1: starting a metaphysical group? I mean, this is so before the time. Oh, yes. So
0: what were you guys doing? So we would meet every week and we would have these groups and Royce was our teacher and she really was looking at the beliefs that we developed as children and, and really looked at going back in, um, in our childhood To look at what was then what we called decision forming incidences. And so we looked at these practices as we'd go back in time. Like, what I'll never forget this one that was huge for me was as a kindergartner, I came, I walked home from school and I'm banging on the door and no one's letting me in and I'm feeling really like abandoned by my family. And at that moment, I made a decision was I, not good enough to enter the house. And that's really at five years old when I started having a lot more fear. And so that's just like one incident. We all have different incidences, whether it's a parent that says something to you and you kind of take it on as yourself and you believe it. And this is the starting of beliefs. And so what I did in the metaphysical for those 10 years is I kept peeling away the onion of layers and layers of beliefs that got me to where I was living in fear, basically.
1: And so then by 28, you feel like you had successfully managed
0: your fear. A hundred percent. And that was just one piece of the puzzle. Mm -hmm. You know, I think also having daddy who um, was so positive and such a source of strength and really supporting me and helping me in that way really helped me gain my own confidence back because by the time it reached its height, I was agoraphobic. I couldn't even walk out of my house. I couldn't walk down the stairs. So, um, to walk to the beach or wherever it was a really hard time, but I think through the support of my women's group, through the support of dad, learning about my diet was really huge because then too, I had all these digestive disorders. And so I think everything together, you know, has been taking me, leading me to where I am today. All these experiences that I have, because I have a a self, a sense of empathy, you know? Well, and then you had kids. Oh my goodness. I never thought I was going to be able to have kids because, you know, here we were together for so long. We didn't start having kids until 16 years later. Let's preface, I mean, you got together in high school. We were together in high school, married eight years later, and then we were together eight years married. But I was still learning how to be in life again and how to really manage this panic disorder Um, because there was a fear about having kids and, you know, being in that state of mind. How am I going to raise kids? Totally. So I really worked hard at, you know, letting go of this fear and finding my happy. Because I think that's the bottom line for me is that I wanted my happy back.
1: Totally. And then of course, like kids brought on a whole nother like chapter in your health journey.
0: Yes. And, and one of the things was, is, you know, we know that when we have kids, our hormones become imbalanced. And then that brings up a whole nother thing. Back then, you know, we really didn't talk about any kind of hormone disruption, you know, after having kids. And I, and I think, you know, part of my fear was, well, if I have kids, am I going to get my panic back? Or also, I mean, what was like the stress, like even trying for kids? Oh, well, that was a big deal. We couldn't have kids right away. Dad had to have an operation and back then, you know, um, to allow us to be able to have kids. And then once the floodgates were open, so to speak, um, we just kept having kids. You know, four kids in six years was a lot. I even had a miscarriage in there. It was in between you and Alex. So, you know, look, you showed up at the right time.
1: <laughs> Meant yes. to be.
0: So my life growing up was um, I was raised in a Jewish family and I married a Catholic man who, you know, Is practicing Catholic. And so once we started having kids, we had to come up with our own values and our own sense. How did we want to raise our children living in this world today? Because we were told so often, it's not going to work. Having a Jewish person and a Catholic person is not going to work. It's going to be too confusing. And I have to say, and you can speak on this growing up, I think we did a really wonderful job. Because our whole value was we wanted to set a foundation for our children that we had open communication and that anything was, you know, we were able to speak on anything with our family. And where that came from was our rituals that we developed with you guys. This family table, this kitchen table was where we really set the foundation for all you, all you kids. Mm-hmm. you know it's where we met every night for dinner that was i think our first ritual that we started with you guys was this nightly ritual of dinner open communication you know that was honest not judged you felt this safe space to really have the ability to say what happened in your day to have this conversation and i think that was the beginning of growing this wonderful Curry family.
1: Yeah, I definitely have the best memories of, you know, it was always Sunday brunch and us talking about it. So I I will say you guys definitely did a good job with that. Thank you. Mm -hmm. And you know, like, I mean, there's so much more that I think you could share like about Nana and what you've done, Nana getting breast cancer and that affecting you, like, you know, with six young kids building a home. And then also, you know, what you started with growing great, your nonprofit, putting school gardens and nutrition education into schools. I mean, you've done so much. I think that's what is (laughs) the beauty of this team, because being a product of your love and the family you created with dad, um, it's just, it's so amazing everything that you've, you've done.
0: Well, I can, I can just touch on, you know, on the fact that, so my mom, Evie, was this incredible light being of a, of a woman. She was a businesswoman. She modeled, you know, what it was to be a working mom, but in a really, you know, loving way. Uh, And so when she passed away of breast cancer, I created a, a business called Evie's Garden Organic Marinara Sauce, and it sold nationally. It was my first entrepreneurial project that um, was. We just we gave back. We gave back to breast cancer research and patient support, and I did that for six years. And then all of a sudden, it was like I didn't want to raise money for disease per se. I wanted to help people right. Away. I wanted to give people the knowledge of, you know, how can we build our health up? How can we, you know, teach women that um, our bodies really matter? And so I started teaching cooking classes. And that's what I did. I created another business called Kitchen Blessings. And so for years, I taught people out of our home how to feed their families, how to feed themselves, how to nourish their families and build families around this kitchen table. And I did that for a solid 10 years.
1: Basically until when I was in college, which is when you were getting ready to give that business to another local chef. And I was like, oh, oh, hold on a second. I think (laughs) that we could do something with this here. And yeah, I mean, that right there is the bloodline of Cray Girls Kitchen. It's that doing something for um. Like finding a cure for something that you've already had versus prevention. That is what we started. And I mean, like I said, you could talk about forever. And I think it's something that deserves its own podcast. You kind of sharing and getting to get really into details about your relationship with dad, about the raising of us, which all of these episodes are going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I think to kind of share how then we came together, cause we did start Curry Girls Kitchen in 2012, right after I'd graduated college in 2011. And I think the piece that you didn't really touch on, which is kind of my part of the story is that I was always sick as a kid. This this was something that I just have so many vivid memories going to family gatherings and all this stuff of people being like, oh, no, Mick, can you have that? or Oh, Megan's sick or like feeling sick or just feeling like I couldn't have. Like there was such this eye on me of like, be, you got to be careful. You got to be careful of what you eat and what you do because I was going to get sick. I had a really weak immune system. I mean, from the time I was born, you always talk about I had chronic ear infections. I was on all these antibiotics that rotted out my teeth and then like constant sinus infections. I mean, you name it, there was all there was some type of problem that I was dealing with. And you can imagine from a young age how that shaped my beliefs and my stories. And as I got older, like any time I would get sick, I just remember crying, being like, oh, I have to tell my parents again. Like I have to call my mom and get sent home from the office. Like it just, it was so sad. But also like being one of four, like that was my primary way of getting attention from my parents, so it's kind of crazy how you as a child what you acknowledge you're getting attention for and how your body can continue to manifest this because trust me if you know if you're one of like three or four, you come from a big family six, I can't even imagine what that would be like, but like fighting for attention and like what you do to get your parents' attention it's it's kind of like whoever is in need gets it so that was my way of getting attention and not one that I really enjoyed, you know? I felt really guilty and bad about it. And it's like when you're seven, eight, nine, you don't really understand, but it kind of led into then in middle school when I had, re- had a really developed a pretty poor relationship with food and understanding that it wasn't my friend. It wasn't nourishing for me. It was actually very harmful to me because certain foods that I would eat would make me feel bad. And then like leading to my mom would always make the most beautiful lunches. And you have to like back in the day, if you had a brown bag lunch, like my, it was different. And as a kid, you don't want to be different. You just want to like blend in. And I was already different enough, not feeling well. And like having all these foods that like I couldn't eat. Like my mom was making like fresh bread that like I just wanted the store-bought bread. I just wanted to be like the other kids. I don't want my mom, like I'd come home from school and Pegs is like milling bread and we're like braiding the holla. I mean, now in hindsight, God, I love my mom. I'm so blessed. But like when you're
0: a kid, like you just want to be normal. Like you just want to like blend. I have this one really <laughs> funny story of when... I'd get this call from the office and they'd say, uh, you owe money on her card for the cafeteria. And I'm like, uh, no. And they go, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. She's been eating in the cafeteria. And I'm like, Meg, where are your lunches? I was throwing them away. Or your friends. Or
1: I was giving them to my friends. I was trading because I just wanted to like have the cafeteria. <laughs> God, kids are so funny. You're so, it's so <laughs> funny thinking back. Like you just don't understand how good you have it. But- <laughs> At that time, like, yeah, like all I can say is like I just wanted to be normal. I didn't want to be different. I didn't want to have that Ezekiel sprouted bread. I wanted the the white bread. I wanted, I wanted the lunchable. I remember like there was like one day a week that like or once a month we would have we'd get like the little pizza lunchables. And of course I felt so shitty afterwards, but like, oh my god, that was like the the (laughs) highlight of my month, getting to just eat this food. It's so interesting in our society, how you just attach all these memories and all this stuff to food, like it's celebration, it's love, it's nourishment. But yeah, when you can't, when you don't have that as a kid, it really defines you. And I was so defined by that, which then led to in middle school, when you finally kind of like had given up on me being like, not given up, but like stop trying to control what I was doing.
0: Yeah. I had to make a decision. I knew I was smart enough to know that from the time you were little to the time you're 13, everything was a no for Megan. And, and I just said, you know what? I have to stop. I have to give her some power back. And otherwise I just had this sense that she was going to have an eating disorder, some kind of disordered eating or something that wasn't, I, it's just my intuition. And I said, you know what, Meg, have at it. You're getting ready to go into high school And I know this is going to be so hard for me, but the way I feed you in the house is the way I feed you. How you choose to eat outside the house is going to be all on you.
1: Oh, and let me tell you, this was like my one way of asserting control to my mom. Like at this point, I'd already developed an eating disorder. I'd already like had that hidden, like doing whatever I wanted and like behind my mom's back. Like I said, I was like trading lunches with my friends and like eating whatever I wanted. And so- Like psychologically, I'd already developed that relationship with it. And I think, you know, having that control, like what I've learned now having friends with kids, it's like that's the first way you learn as a human being that you get to control something. You get to either open your mouth or keep it shut. And like what you feed yourself, it's like, you don't have, like there's not many things you get to control as a kid, but like what you get to eat, you physically get to put that in your body. And that was the first time my mom really put that on me. Up until that point, I had a lot, you could like, I felt like a lot of blame towards her being like, oh, you're making me do this. But at that point it became on me, which led me into high school, which was where I started getting really sick again. I had an eating disorder. I wasn't like, I was, not like, didn't feel good in my body. You're going through hormones, you're developing. There's so much going on with friends, boyfriends, and again, not feeling well. And so also being an athlete, playing all sorts of sports and, and your sister played a role of it too. Oh, so much. I mean, that's a different (laughs) podcast. Yeah. My relationship with my older sister who I never had bullies. And also I want to preface, like I was genuinely the happiest kid. Like I was always like, even though I had all this, like this issue, these issues around food and this struggle, like I genuinely loved life. Like I loved being outside. I loved playing. I was very imaginative and creative, but I did have this, like this darkness that was just kind of with me all the time. And, um, in high school, yeah. I mean, being two years younger than my older sister, who's developed way quicker than me and just, Looked older than me. And back when you're young, man, do you just want to look older and you can have like your fake ID and hang out with the old cool kids? And like that was not me. Like I was, I look, I, to this day, I look so young <laughs> and I love it now. But then, you, you know, it's just, it's funny again, hindsight. Um, Yeah, my relationship with my sisters. And then that was when, when I was 16, I got really, really sick and was diagnosed finally gluten intolerant. This entire like story led up to this pinnacle moment of us getting tested for celiac because you were working with a group of women at the time that you were explaining all of my issues. And they were like, have you ever tested her? And I was so sick. It was like, what was it? Like my 16th birthday. I remember like we went to see a show, um, Moss. Oh my God. At the Roxy. And my dad had to take me because I was so frail. Like I had been sick for so long. And I just remember sitting there being like, I never want to feel this bad. Like it was like, I just started getting better from this sickness. I was like two weeks bedridden with like fever blisters down my throat, 104 fevers. Then it was my birthday and it was turning, well, maybe I was like 15. No, you were turning seventeen. Okay, seventeen, okay, seventeen. Yeah, sixteen. We were in Italy. It's turning seventeen. It was my senior year in high school, mm-hmm. and I was like, "Okay, something has to change. Like this has. To, I never want to feel this sick again." I I came to you, and in that moment was when you shared with me, like we got the test, and this was when it just changed. Like within three months, I had never felt better, and that then went into college where I. I knew like I went to Boulder in Colorado. I was away from home the first time in a different state and they had a gluten-free dining hall. And I was really conscious about the food that I ate because I had spent that summer learning from you how to feed myself gluten-free foods. And this was back in 2007 when there was no gluten-free, like really good gluten-free bread options, you know, like there wasn't the products that we have now. And I had to, I put that on myself. You shared, you're like, listen, you have an increased risk of any degenerative diseases. We have, we have breast cancer in our family. And these are all like, you have now a risk of becoming infertile by having gluten intolerant, being gluten intolerant. Or just
0: harder to have kids. Harder to have kids, yeah. Harder to have kids. And, you know, any kind of digestive disorder can, you know, kind of give you that 70% 70% risk of it, increased yeah. risk. So in school, I mean, studying, you can imagine
1: like this, I I was so fascinated by psychology and sociology and really understanding why I thought the way I thought. And, um, I was, I mean, I was a vegetarian, I was a vegan in Boulder. It really like harbors that the setting to be able to try all this and getting into activism and for the animals and like why you're choosing to eat the foods that you eat and how it made me feel. And by the time I graduated, this is our coming together. It was, Pegs was getting ready. She had already been teaching these classes, these cooking classes out of our, our home kitchen. And then I, when I was home from the summers, I would volunteer teaching classes at
0: Growing Great to the schools, um, I don't think local we, elementary schools. Yeah, I don't think we talked about Growing Great and just what that was. Yeah, we can Growing just-
1: Great, it, it was a nonprofit school garden nutrition education program that she founded. And- I would volunteer there and I got to see the kids connecting with the food which I really loved. And when I was graduating, I wasn't ready to like go get my master's degree yet, but I knew I wanted to do something around I wanted to be a dietitian or like I wanted to do something in food, but I didn't know what. And so that was when Pegs wanted to write a cookbook. <laughs> and I told her I would go help her, and in that process when we were working on this cookbook and then coming back home, I was like, let's teach a class together. And I started, I signed up for Institute of Integrative Nutrition and the next year in 2012 is when we started this. And it really is the beautiful marriage of your years and lifetime of experiences. And then my own personal story, like our personal stories. And then the education that I've gotten through IIN and then going to the Functional Medicine Academy to become a functional medicine coach. And then just all of this combined knowledge that we got to infuse into this passion project of ours, getting to share the different perspectives.
0: Well, yeah, because we're two different generations. You know, how I was raised and how you were raised are completely different and we're 30 years apart. And so we get to bring to the table two different perspectives of what healing is for you, because it is, it's just different, you know? Yeah. And, and that's what I think all of our community love about us, because when you get to know us, we do things so differently yet so alike. It's just like funny to just see how we do things. Meg does one way and Peg's does another way, but you know, but that's the joy of it.
1: And that's, I think why we just are so excited to be sharing this now with you is that now that we're at home and having to cook for ourselves more and really spending time with your family or your community that you have created, it's bringing up this relationship, bringing up the the healing part of it, really making sure that your immunity is strong. Like we talked about in episode one and like all of these, these things that keep you feeling good, peeling back the layers, those onion layers of your life and really asking those questions and how you can feel good in every area of your life. And I think a podcast is such a fun way to be able to have these conversations and share this story in another format that you can go to our Instagram and look at food photos and the recipes of the stuff that we're doing. You can go to our website and get all the recipes, get our blog posts,
0: you, you know. You can go to our YouTube channel where, where we have literally hundreds of recipe videos and lifestyle videos style videos as well. Little
1: DIY hacks. I mean, Pinterest, we're constantly sharing the stuff. I mean, there's so many ways that you can connect with us and this more communication, like
0: conversation just felt right. Yeah. And we, we do. We hope that, you know, our being able to share our story with you hopefully will spark something for yourself, whether you have a family or you don't have a family. You know, just to really take some good hard look at where in my life can I do better? How can I make life delicious for myself?
1: Totally. And just like that feeling of like, you're not alone. Like, we all have something like on the outside. We live such a blessed life. Like, we truly are so fortunate. And, but there's always something underneath it, you know? And there's, there's people have, there's so much to people. We're so diverse. And, there, this is where we get to talk about all of that. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah, so we are so grateful that you've stuck around, heard <laughs> us out, listened to our stories, and get to know us more as each week we release new episodes. And if you feel like you are friends or family or someone you know that could benefit from this episode or our podcast, please share it. It really helps us. And Make sure you subscribed and you rate and review this so that more people get, get to hear our podcast. And like we said, I mean, there's all those places you can follow us on social media at Curry Girls Kitchen. We're just so, we're so grateful that we get to do this with you. Yes. So we'll see you next week with another fun episode.